Let's start by looking at Exodus 2, if we can. This is in your handout. I'm sort of picking up where we left off last week, Exodus 2, verses 11 through 15. Many years later, that is after Moses had been um, rescued from the river by the Pharaoh's daughter, he was raised, adopted as part of her family. Uh, that was an amazing thing, a development that we talked about last week. But it says here, many years later, when Moses had grown up, and we're going to read this from a more modern, slightly more modern translation, it says that when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. They were enslaved, if you recall. And during his visit, he actually, on one occasion, saw an Egyptian who was beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure that no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and he hid the body in the sand. And then the next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. And he said, why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who started the fight. And the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. And he sat down beside that well, defeated, disillusioned, and dehydrated, because his world had just crumbled. And one of the things that we know is this, that although the murder, his murder of the Egyptian guard who was beating the slaves, his own people, and the rejection of his fellow Hebrews, um, was a kind of a tipping point that pushes Moses over the edge and changes his life forever and sends him out of Egypt like a a fugitive on the run. The fact of the matter is the Bible is clear that what we just read about here in Exodus 2, this incident, this uh, beginning push that gets Moses on the run, is in reality only a sort of outcome of an internal decision that Moses had wrestled with and made years earlier. And we learn about that from actually a New Testament book, the book of Hebrews, in which we're told in the 11th chapter this piece about Moses. And I want us to look at that as well, because it really does add another layer to this. It reminds us that Moses had made a decision prior to this whole confrontation. It says by faith in verse 24, this is the Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 26, it says, by faith Moses, when he became of age, He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That is, Moses made a decision in the maturity of his manhood, and we know that that age was around 40 for him. That at that age in his life, he came to a decision that he had obviously wrestled with for a long time, but essentially what he did was he made a determination. The Bible says he did it by faith. He decided that he would no longer be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, that he would renounce all that went along with being in that place and being known as that prince in Egypt. And instead, we were told that he made a decision to identify with his oppressed people. Now, the decision that is made there, we read about it in Hebrews eleven twenty four. We read this verse. We say, oh, yeah, Moses decided he didn't want to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't want to be a prince. I'm going to tell you something. It's so easy to read that and, and really miss the significance of what actually happens. I mean, I want us to think for a moment about what he actually gave up because it has everything to do with what our world, our culture says success looks like. I mean, he was a part of the highest level of a, of a hierarchical culture. He was known, um, respected, people bowed in his presence. He was a prince in Egypt. He was a son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He, wherever he went, he had the finest things in life, the finest training, the finest education, the finest possessions. Everything was at his disposal. He had everything that a human being could want in this life, if we look at it from a natural perspective. I mean, this wasn't a... So when it says he gave up everything, we need to remind ourselves that he gives up something that some people claw and only dream about their entire life. I mean, think about it. While his people were essentially forgotten and oppressed and enslaved, he was... In, in a way, living a completely, radically different life in which he had everything he could have desired. And he probably had relationships that he valued as well. I mean, I think we would be remiss to suggest that, oh, he didn't care for the people that he actually made a decision to move away from. Not so. The fact of the matter was, Moses gives up a lot. You know what? A lot of times we, we look at, we go, oh, yeah, Moses made a decision by faith to, to, to follow God and to identify himself with his, his, his people but we forget what it really meant to renounce the privileges, the esteem, the identity that he actually laid aside. Nothing short of faith really could, could actually adequately answer why he chose to do it. People probably could have argued, well, can't you do more for them by just living life out the way? But you know what? He felt clearly in his heart that it was essential for his own walk with God, his own life with God, his, to identify with his people. And that meant for him letting go of the place of privilege that he had enjoyed his entire life. I think about it, how hard it is sometimes for us to let go of things or to have things taken from us or to even think about losing certain possessions that we have worked so hard to acquire or how titles can mean so much to us or how the esteem of people matters and to realize that Moses was making a decision that was going to cost him everything that so many people would envy and admire. That he would, think about how hard it is sometimes for us to just let go of little things, to surrender what we think is an, a privilege or an entitlement or something we've worked hard for. Think about how we feel when something is ripped from us, when we're fired or we lose our position or something is lost unfairly. How hard that is just to deal with that. Moses didn't have it taken from him. He chose to let it go. That's what the Bible is saying. A remarkable decision as he moved into this place in his life, feeling that he could no longer be comfortable enjoying what he was enjoying while his own people were suffering in these extraordinarily devastating ways. And it says in verse 25 that not only did he refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, that is a prince in Egypt, but he also chose rather, it says, to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasure of sin, the passing pleasure of sin. The older version says sin for a season. Um, that always struck me, that verse. In fact, this verse here, Hebrews eleven twenty five, 25, was one of the pivotal pieces of Scripture that actually affected me as a young believer in Jesus when I was just a teenager. I had uh, grown up around church. Uh, I, I believed, I, you know, that Jesus was the Lord, and, and I, I believed this, the Bible in a general way. But I, I was getting to a point in my own life where I couldn't just simply be okay without making a true decision in my own heart. And so there came a point where I had to make a decision, did I really want to follow Jesus? And one of the passages that spoke to me was this passage. And I was, you know what I was struck by? I was struck by not the idea of Moses, uh, you know, choosing the affliction, but actually that phrase, the passing pleasure of sin. And I was thinking about my worldview and the future. I was asking God to, to really show me, um, you know, the path that he had for me. And I was struck by how Moses 
gave up this particular thing that he called the passing pleasure of sin. And I, there's a lot in that phrase. Look at the, the last word there, a word that we, we don't, we sometimes some of us are, we're afraid to talk about. You know, it's just a, that word sin, it, mean, it's, it can be a scary word for some people, but in reality, it's all over the Bible. Uh, what does it mean? You know, because I want to get it right and I want to plant this in a proper way, I, I, want to write, I wrote these words down. I just want you to hear what I, I'm saying as I, as I read what I wrote down. This, answering this question of <laughs> sin. And, and sin in this context has to do with things that, listen, that pull us away from God and his plan and his purpose for our lives. It has to do with a way of living, a kind of self-indulgent, stay with me, lifestyle in which wrong isn't really wrong if it doesn't hurt anyone. But the Bible is clear that there are things that are wrong. And they are wrong in God's eyes. And whether or not they directly hurt anyone, they hurt God. And that means that there, if we're serious about following Jesus, then there are going to be areas of our lives that we're going to have to challenge, attitudes and actions and ways of being that run contrary to the way of Jesus. And we have to decide how much of that we're going to hold on to. Let me show you a, a key portion of Scripture. Actually, this is something Jesus said in John 15. I want to put it up. We're going to put it up. It says this. It says, now I want to look at what Jesus is saying. He says, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. He's talking to his disciples, his followers, and he's saying this. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you, and I want you to abide in my love. But then look what he says. He doesn't say what we expect. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you seek to do what I say, just as I have kept my Father's words and commands and I live in his love. I verify my love for my Father by the way in which I obey his words. In, in the same way, if you say you love me, and I believe you do, then let it affect the way you live and your decision to, to honor my words in your life. So this idea that somehow we can say, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, but then never actually seek to apply his words and to turn away from them and sort of do what we want to do, but say, I love Jesus, but we don't listen to his commands. Jesus says, that's not, whatever that is, it's not loving me. That loving Jesus is connected to how we honor his words in our lives. And it doesn't mean we're ever going to get perfect. It doesn't mean that we're going to always handle this thing in perfect ways and we're not going to mess up and we're not going to sometimes struggle with things. That's not what we're saying. That's what grace is. Grace is there for. God works with us. He, he loves us in our weaknesses. But the fact is that we, we need to understand that a, a kind of profession of love for Jesus that doesn't affect the way we live, and in this particular case, affect the way in which we deal with things that relate to the passing pleasure of sin, is kind of an empty confession. Now, the phrase is not only, notice, it's not only just that word sin. It, the, the other part of it that sticks out is the pleasure of sin. And, <laughs> and I'm, what we're talking about there, and stay with me on this, is the thrill in the illicit, the chemical charge, if you will, the push of pleasure that is out of bounds. It's what drives people over the edge. All of us have had, some of us, most, I think all of us have experienced it at some level, and we certainly know people who we love who have tipped over the edge. It's what gets people addicted, addicted to all sorts of things that ultimately produce death and not life. What starts out a friend, as a friend of sorts becomes a taskmaster, and we become imprisoned by the very things that, we're, that we thought somehow we would find pleasure in, and they begin to own us. 
It's what makes us reckless. It's what makes us reckless, unthinking, um, selfish, and willing to, to risk things innocent, sacred, and profound. How many beautiful things are squandered because we're being driven to pursue something that, that is actually killing the very things we love. And it's, and it's undermining everything that God's trying to do in our lives. See, God wants to get at that stuff. You know, I was thinking about this, that the Bible sticks a kind of a caution on the bottom of the sin package, and it says something like this. Warning! Surgeons General's findings have determined that this product can lead to cancer and premature death. Romans 6.23 says this. It says that the wages of sin is death. The payment... But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, basically what it's saying is this. Sin's pleasure equals death. God's pleasure equals life. We get to decide how we want to live our lives. Moses came to a decision. Uh, but it wasn't just the phrase pleasures of sin. Notice, what does it say? He gives up the passing pleasures of sin because the ways that are contrary to God cannot sustain their promise. Ultimately, they cannot deliver. It may look like it can, but sometimes we realize an hour later, as we've lost whatever fleeting sensation we had, as we sit in, in our discouragement, our defeat, or depression, or feeling stuck, that it, didn't, it couldn't last. But God's ways last. I mean, I was thinking about it. A lot of times we find ourselves in a situation where we forget that God's way is like an everlasting fountain, you know? And we get to understand that when we do it God's way, there isn't any, there's no regrets. There's no hangovers. There's no embarrassing photo on Facebook, right? <laughs> we, 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 we do things God's way, we live free. No secrets. When we're most free is, when we are, is what we are living honestly and humbly before the Lord. And there's something about that. Um, it doesn't mean we're not struggle. We're all going to struggle. But see, what the Jesus, what Moses, see, I see struggle all over this because Moses was struggling. He struggled. He didn't just like, oh, I come to this, no big deal. It was a big deal. It was huge. It was hard. The Bible says it was by faith that he decided finally that he could not continue to do what he was doing. It, it, it was going to cost him something. And notice what it says. It was the, the passing pleasures. I mean, it, as you look at it, I mean, the invitation that Jesus gives us is the invitation to, to give up what we can't keep so that we can have what we can't lose. And that reminds me of a quote from Jim Elliott, and we'll put it up there. It says this, and it's a great, I love this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what makes that even more powerful is Jim Elliott said this before he was 29 years of age, because at 29 years of age, Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to Ecuador, along with a team of people, and there's a movie about him called The Tip of the Spear, but Jim Elliott, the man who said these words, was a man who was martyred, literally killed by the very tribe that he had come to bring Jesus to. And he and his team had made a decision, because they wanted it. There was a, a known tribe in the jungles of Ecuador that were very, very violent, but they had never heard the good news of Jesus, and they decided, and he was 29 years old, that they were going to live this faith out in this way that God had called them, and they decided to go, and they made a decision. They said, even though we will have a weapon 
for our self-defense from animals or certain types of situations we may find ourselves in, one thing we must promise one another to do, we will never raise anything of violence towards the very people we have come to bring the good news of Jesus to. We will never do this. We make this covenant together. And they were ultimately killed and slaughtered. And they had the ability to defend themselves. And that's... And you know, later on, it's an amazing story, but that tribe is actually impacted by Jesus. And, 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 and you can hear some of them today talking about how their entire tribe was affected by what happened. But Jim Elliot did not live. But he said these words before he ever went. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And somehow it makes those words even more meaningful. Think about it. The Lord has, asked, the Lord has never asked any of us to die for him. But he is asking a lot of us to live for him. And sometimes living for the Lord is going to challenge the way we make our decisions and some of the things that we're holding on to. This idea, as we look at it closely, and I go back, go back if you, if you can to verse 26, because it, it, we're told this, that it says that Moses got to a point where he made a decision and it says that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And, and, and obviously Moses did not live at a time that in which Jesus had already come. I mean, he predates Jesus. So what is being referred to here? I mean, part of what this could be is an anticipation of Messiah, but, real, but I think an even greater likelihood is that the writer of Hebrews is suggesting that in the same way that Jesus walked the path of suffering so that we might be blessed and chose to become our deliverer, confronting the powers that he had to confront, suffering the way he did, that Moses had come to the same decision to walk in the path of a Jesus that he did not yet even know would ultimately come. But he did the same thing by, by becoming willing to be a deliverer for his people, even though it would mean suffering and giving up everything that he held dear. And the Bible says because he had a perspective, he, he looked to his reward. That is, he held an eternal point of view that caused him to look at the two competing things. And what he decided was that someday, if you think about it, he saw that the treasures of Egypt would fade away. That's what he's saying here. The treasures of Egypt would fade away, that they would be ultimately, and he, how could he have known that they would now be simply museum pieces buried under the sand or, or, or structures that remind us of an ancient day. But the fact of the matter is Moses' story and decision echoes through eternity. Even now, we live out of that decision. Millions of people, Messiah himself comes because of this decision. I mean, if you really get down to it, there was so much here that, Mo that rode on Moses' decision. And, when, and that reminds me, and I'm going to kind of put this in the context of, of the, the closing thoughts, but really in reality, these are just the reflection points that I want to have take up the last pieces of what we're sharing together. And I'm going to suggest, firstly, that there is a time when we have to weigh things out, that one of the things we learn is that there come points in our lives where we really do have to weigh things out, just like Moses weighed things out. There's a time to prayerfully and thoughtfully challenge where we are. For Moses, this was not a reckless decision. It was not an emotionally driven decision. It, it, now, what he does after he decides is emotionally reckless and driven. In other words, his decision to relinquish his identity and identify with God's purpose for his life was not a reckless decision. That's what Hebrews tells us. But how he acted it out 
was reckless, when he slays the Egyptian, when he, when he reacts in the way that he does, his passion is correct, but the way he goes about it is not correct. And he, but, but there is a reminder there are times where we have to waste things out. Paul wrote this in Corinthians. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen, because the things that are seen, they are temporary, but the things that are not seen, they are eternal. He's reminding us to have an eternal perspective. We must remind ourselves that at the end of the day, nothing is going to, everything that we have, everything we've labored for, every title we've pursued, it will be left behind. The key is, are we going to believe the Lord and to walk with Moses, who made a decision that he would esteem more, if it meant suffering with God's people, he would choose that over the passing pleasure and treasure of Egypt. That's what he was saying. He made a decision. He waited out. He said, one thing, it, it is everything people want, but it's like sand slipping through the fingers of my hand, like a, like a desert sand dropping right. I cannot keep it. When I clutch it, I lose it. But this way, even if it involves suffering, and I don't know what God's going to do, but I will walk with this. I will believe this. It's an eternal perspective. He weighed things out. There's a time when we must weigh things out. You think about it. The treasures of Egypt, no matter how spectacular cannot be carried across the divide. Today, you can go visit, I think we can go visit King Tut still today here in the city. There's a whole museum display. But the fact of the matter is, it's just a testimony that the Pharaoh's bodies were entombed. They were mummified, right? With their treasure. And that's where it stayed until thieves and tomb raiders came to take it away. And you can't help but think about what Jesus said when he says, listen to me, do not lay up for yourselves in Matthew 6 treasure on this earth where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself what? Treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt. There is no corrosive agent that can take it away over time and thieves cannot break in and steal it away. We get to decide who we're going to believe and how we're going to live. If we live for the treasure of Egypt, we get that reward. But if we live for God and make our decisions based upon an eternal perspective, and we really believe, we get to decide, do we believe what Jesus said? Do we believe it? Are we investing in that which cannot be taken away? We go back to that phrase again, right? He is no fool. There is, that is the, what Jesus talked about. Who gives, up what cannot, who gives what cannot be kept to gain what cannot be lost. There's a time to weigh things out, but there's also... This is an important distinction as well. There's a need at times to be sensitive to timing and alignment. It shows up here, doesn't it? This is, going to be, this is going to have an effect on how we make decisions. Even when we feel like God is asking us to do something, we feel like something is, we should respond to. Listen, timing means something. Alignment means something. The fact of the matter was that Moses genuinely had a, a right calling. He, he discerned correctly what God was asking him to do, deliver his people but he misdiagnosed the timing. And one of the things that we know, when we miss the timing of God, what happens is things don't usually open up the way that we thought they were. I mean, he goes up to his, to the, his, his fellow Hebrew men and he says, don't you realize what God's doing right now? I'm your guy. He's raised me up for me. And they say, who are you? You're not, who made you our judge, our arbitrator, our prince? You, we, who gave you the, the idea that somehow you are better than us. We do not receive you. We saw what you did. We saw what you did. It must have shocked him. But don't, don't you know? I mean, God, I mean, it's like, I'm, that's why I'm, 
I'm here to help. We don't want your help. We missed the timing of God. And in fact, Moses not just missed the time, he missed the whole. Look, it wasn't God, his passion was correct, but it wasn't God's will for him to, to kill the Egyptians. That was, that, was, that was not, that was a reckless, listen, that was a reckless reaction out of a passion that was unnecessary and unhelpful. And it threw entirely messed things up. And a lot of times we will find in our lives that there will be situations where in our zeal we will have something from God, but we will be zealously incorrect in the way in which we apply ourselves to the situation. Because there are times where God does call us to points of confrontation, but there is a timing to it. There is a need to discern. Look, I may have the right, this may be the right decision, but am I handling it the right way? It may be a conversation that needs to happen, but is it the right time? When we are very connected emotionally to things, we need the value of counsel and others to jump into that and to pray with us and to work this through, be very careful about reacting. In fact, one of the things we're going to find is that Moses has, you know what's interesting? He's called one of the meekest men in the Bible, but he had an anger issue, and it's going to show up, and it shows up right here. In his anger, he slays. He, he had the passion, but it was not harnessed. He wasn't ready. There's something about this idea of timing and alignment. Just because God is asking us to do something doesn't mean we're supposed to just react on it. There are times where restraint is required. And when, if we do react, we will actually mess something up that God is trying to do. But it requires a degree of restraint. And the tendency is to become reckless when we're emotionally connected. Hence the value the Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. There is wisdom in bringing others in when we are emotionally invested. And a lot of this stuff is so practical and real, it's just almost impossible to miss. And, but this leads me to the third piece, because Moses did make a mess of it. But guess what? This is a reminder that just because we miss God's timing doesn't mean that God stops working in our lives. And isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? Because it reminds me that even though we make, can make a mistakes and we can misdiagnose, and again, did he really misdiagnose? No, he was actually right on, but he handled it incorrectly and it produced, and now he was running for his life. He, he's running for his life. His own people reject him. He's running scared. He's given up. He's back. By the time God comes back around, and we're going to see it, he's so far off from wanting to do anything for God that relates to something he wants. It's like, that, that's like, God, you go find somebody else. That's not your guy. I don't even want to do it. Deliverer. I'm a shepherd. But you know what? What's so fascinating is that even though Moses made a mess and he ran out in fear, that his fear that led him to run brings him to a well that we just, we had read about earlier. And at that well, God, I believe, has planned a meeting, a meeting, by the way, that will change the next 40 years of his life. Remember, not every delay is a denial. Sometimes we're just not ready yet. And God allows us to go into the desert to learn who we really are. Some of us, we say, oh, God, please don't let it be a 40-year desert well, how about 40 days, 40 weeks, 40 months? I don't know. But things can be learned in the desert that can be learned nowhere else. And some of us are finding ourselves in a desert season right now. Things are hard for us. It didn't work out the way we thought it was. We love God. We chose to follow him. What's going on here? How do I understand what he's trying to say and do and work in me? 
See, this is all about Moses, and God's going to work with him. Now, his desert's going to be a lot longer than ours, we hope. But at the same time, God has things to teach us. And yet, having said that, and this will be our closing thought, and it will bring us full circle. Having said that, there will nevertheless be times when God will call some of us to make decisions to live for him. And I think I need to underscore that with a strong statement behind it that implies more than just a suggestion, but actually um, I'm trying to make an appeal to some of us that God is calling us to live boldly and courageously and perhaps even surrender some things to him that we've been holding on to and been reluctant to let go of. It may be our pride. It may be our doubt. It may be something of an, of an offense that we have that is holding us back from moving forward with God or having us be put into a place where we are afraid to respond to the things that we do sense God calling us to. Some of us are being called to places where we must decide. Moses' problem was not the decision he made. In fact, it took tremendous courage and faith to make the decision. His problem was how he handled it after that. But the decision itself was crucial because it ultimately led to God being able to use his life to bring blessing to an entire nation of people, and that includes us down through time. And that had to do with the decision he made. And God will at times call us to make decisions that require boldness and courage and a willingness to confront areas in our lives that we would otherwise want to just go with the stream of the culture. And God says, no, to follow me, we must deal with this. We must. It is a decision that must be, what are we going to believe? So what we're saying is, on the one hand, we are not to be reckless. We can be reckless. We can misdiagnose the timing. But on the other hand, we are not to be reluctant about deciding when God is calling us to be bold and courageous and to, and to deal with things clearly, then and it is no, no missing it that our progress is going to be determined by our willingness to be honest and real and courageous. And I'll make this final statement that God, I believe that there are a, a lot of people here younger than myself or my own age perhaps, and certainly there are some older as well. They're getting less and less all the time. And as a result of that, I think more about life and what it means. And part of what I would like to say is that some of us, God's calling us to decide. Are we going to simply dabble with our love for the Lord or are we going to devote ourselves to following him, even if it costs us something? And following the Lord at times will cost us something. It is not a cheap faith. It will challenge us to not simply go with the flow of the culture. We will be called at times to decide, am I going to walk in Egypt or am I going to identify myself with the people of the Lord, even if they look like a pretty poor lot indeed? And what does it mean to represent the heart of God? And how do, what does it mean to seek to live a life that's in alignment, that's not just professing something, but is seeking to confess it by the way in which we live it out? It affects the choices we make. It affects what we're willing to concede to. It affects what we are willing to confront in our own heart. All these things matter to God. And God's calling some of us to choose. Choose. If the Lord is worth following, then follow him. If we're going to do it, let's do it. Moses made a decision. So, Lord, I pray that as we think about these principles and as we, as we get prepared to, 
to close out the service. And part of the song we're closing out with reminds us, Lord, that sometimes we may not feel like the time is right, but if we keep waiting for it to be the perfect time, we'll never do it. There's a time, Lord, when the waters are moving. There's a time when it's, it's the time to respond. And I pray that we would not, we would not miss that moment. Some of us have, are going to be called to make decisions that are going to affect um, decades of our lives. And we, are, we need to be able to make a clear decision by faith to walk with you and to believe you and to lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal it away, to hold on to those things that cannot be ultimately lost. I pray, Lord, that we would not scrape and fight and simply get angry over things that don't really matter anyway in the final analysis. No, they don't. Not compared to you, the pearl of great price. I pray that we would embrace you, Lord. To know you is to be rich beyond measure. And I pray that we would have a faith that is not simply just surviving, but is flourishing. And it can flourish best sometimes in the desert place because that's where the roots grow deep. Help us not be a people who are afraid. I pray that you would fill us with courage. I pray that you bless this closing song, bless our time of giving. Again, another place where it meets the real road, where we really get to see what we have in the Lord and in you, Lord. I, I pray that you would just bless these closing minutes. They would just be an underscoring of what you've already said to us. Keep working in our lives, all of us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God. Amen. Amen.